Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast featuring Pastor Mark Miner, where we will journey together to help you grasp how the Bible fits together to provide a coherent, understandable, and historical book. The purpose of this podcast is not to convince, but to help you understand. Not to defend, but to connect the dots of this most amazing book. Not to debate, but to discover the plan of the Bible. There is a plan. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave us a review. It really does help us. And now, here's Pastor Mark. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. My name is Mark Miner, and this is the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. I've been doing this podcast every week now for half a year, and I still enjoy it as much as the first time that I began it. I hope that you enjoy it and are learning from it. I would like to say before we jump into episode 26 today, which is the man named Paul, uh, give just a, a little bit of a, a heads up. We are working on a Facebook page. It's actually out there right now. You can do you can type in your search 24-minute Bible podcast and it will come up. No information on it just yet, but I'm working with our technological director, Tammy, and soon we'll have some information, maybe some show notes or some charts and maps, which to me are as important as anything I might say, as we strive to put the Bible together in an understandable form, a simple journey to understand the Bible. Been the premise of this podcast since I began it six months ago, continues to be Thank you so much for joining me this day. Today we're going to look at a man named Paul. And so I want to ask you a question. Who do you think the most influential person has been in the last 2,000 years since the death of Jesus? What, who has become or is or has had the most influence in the last 2,000 years? Some might say Bill Gates because, of course, he ushered in the computer age in a sense. Others may say Einstein because he began the nuclear age and understood the deep truths of the atom and and the, the truths of physics. Others might say Thomas Edison. Certainly he began modern society in many ways with his invention of the light bulb. You might want to think about a military or a political leader, perhaps George Washington. Uh, George Washington founded, began a nation, my nation, our nation, the United States of America. A lot of people that could be in the mix, but I want to say to you that I believe the most influential person in the last 2,000 years, certainly apart from Jesus Christ, would be the Apostle Paul. Because he began a culture, a civilization, we know it today as the Western civilization. Used to teach in high school, certainly in colleges. Today, I don't know if anything's taught about Western civilization. In fact, there is a war against Western civilization in many uh, areas and corners of the intellectual world today, certainly universities and our political system has taken aim at, the Western, at Western civilization because of one reason. It is based on Judeo-Christian principles. That is, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, at the heart of Western Civ. Western civilization is the spread of Christianity and the Christianization of the world. No one has been more influential in accomplishing that fact over the last 2,000 years than the Apostle Paul. God's plan is always a man or a woman. 
uh, <clears throat> God chooses people. He calls them most often out of uh, out of just odd places uh, of unknown character, and he sees things in them that nobody else sees. For example, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and God called him to build the ark that literally saved humanity before this worldwide catastrophe called the flood. Then God reached back to a little town called Ur in the Chaldees to a man and his wife, Abraham and Sarah, and through them, as he called them, he founded his nation through which the Messiah, ultimately Jesus, would come. He founded a people. And then he called Moses from the backside of the desert and said, Moses, come and release and be the deliverer for my people. And so Moses went back. Of course, you know the story of Moses. Then on the, in the very quiet part of the shepherd hills of Judea, tending his sheep, playing his guitar, and writing songs of praise to his God was a man that nobody had much esteem for, but God saw in him the one who would shepherd his people. We call him King David. When the Jews were at a critical time, a holocaust was planned against them, and they would have been eliminated from the face of the earth. God raised up a woman by the name of Esther to stand in the gap and to save the very culture, the very nation, the people of the Jews. And in the same way, God raises up the Apostle Paul to deliver the message of Jesus to what I would say to you is Western society. Now, Western society today uh, has, is, again, based on Christian influence, Christian principles, Christian ideals from the Old Testament and the New Testament, what we call the Judeo-Christian uh, principles or influences. And when we talk about Western society versus what we might say is Eastern society, I mentioned last time in episode 25, as we talked about the book of Acts, that the entire thrust of the book of Acts, as we talk about the Bible, is to the West. And we see that, that God sends the Apostle Paul. It's the only, he is the only one that we really hear about in the book of Acts as it records the Acts of the Church, if you will. I mentioned last time that the Apostle Matthew and also Mark went down into Africa. Thomas went to India. Andrew went to Russia. And others went uh, <clears throat> toward the east. But we only have a record of Paul as he moves toward the west. Now, why is that? Well, that's a lot of conjecture. But I'm going to say to you that God's plan has always been to create what we know of today as Western society. There's some reasons for that. I mentioned some of those in the last podcast, which you can go back and listen to. But I, I would just simply make this uh, thought or ask you to think in these lines. Where has Christian influence been most felt? What began with Paul spread throughout the Roman Empire? It went from the Roman Empire ultimately to Europe, all the way to England, north to Scandinavia, to uh, Sweden and Norway. Eventually, it made its way across the oceans. We think of those explorers that perhaps you understood or learned about in social studies back in years gone by, Columbus, Magellan, even the Vikings, who were a fierce, uh, strong people, but eventually became, many of them became converted to Christ. Eric the Red, Leif Erikson, his son, others, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, were 
accepted Christ, accepted Christianity, founded churches in Iceland, Greenland, and perhaps all the way over to Nova Scotia by 1000 AD. Certainly the influence uh, of, of uh, Paul was spreading to North and South America in a mighty way. So Paul, I believe more than any other man, is responsible for this world that we know today of Western civilization. I would even ask you to at least consider this. Uh, who were all the missionaries over the last uh, 2,000 years? Most of them came from Paul's emphasis from Europe and uh, on to the world as uh, we see the cause of Christ being spread. I mentioned last time by Japheth particularly uh, as a prophecy from Noah, but uh, without getting into all of that, Western society is the has been birthed through the book of Acts and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was an unlikely choice, but God sees hearts, he sees personalities, and he sees gifts that others can't see. It's all throughout the entire scripture, throughout the entire Bible that we see that. And so he calls the unlikely and turns them into world changers, and most certainly that was Paul. We read Paul's calling in Acts 9.15, where the Lord says to a man by the name of Ananias, go to, the, to Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Well, what an instrument he was. But why Paul? Why would it be Paul? And there are some reasons, and that is indeed what we're going to look at in, in our remaining minutes. Why Paul, the chosen one for God to use to create, in a sense, Western society to begin the evangelization of the world? Well, there are some reasons. And uh, Paul, like Moses uh, of the Old Testament, was who Moses was trained in the courts of Pharaoh, Paul was a man with the credentials to carry the gospel. He was that chosen instrument to take it throughout the world and to impact modern society over these last 2,000 years. It was as if God had been preparing Paul as the perfect vessel to carry the gospel to the Roman world, and I believe he had been. So today, we take a deep dive into the life of, the, of this man, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle, God's chosen vessel. Today we're going to look at Paul in, in some different aspects of his life, uh, not so much chronologically, but influentially. Paul is a Pharisee, Paul is a Roman citizen, Paul as an intellectual, and Paul simply as Paul. Next week we're going to talk about the world that Paul knew, so this is going to be a two-part episode, but today we're going to look at those four aspects of Paul's life. So let's talk about Paul the Pharisee. Number one, Paul never shared, shied away from the fact that he had spent and was preparing his life as a Pharisee. In fact, he would use his Pharisee credentials throughout his ministry. But before we get into that and look at a few verses and situations, let's look at the Pharisees for a moment. Who were they? The, the Pharisees had evolved as a, as a political entity, a political arm of the scribes. 
in the years uh, leading up to the birth of Christ. So 200 AD, 100, or excuse me, 200 BC, 100 BC, the Pharisees began to evolve as this political arm, as this group. They were certainly very much uh, organized and empowered during the life of Jesus. We saw that as the Pharisees were the one who ultimately brought forth the charges and demanded the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They were powerful in Israel. So uh, they were the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus often put those two groups together as one. The Pharisees' main focus was the law and legal issues. They were very, very conservative, if you will. The Sadducees, their counterparts, were very liberal. They accepted the Romans. They loved the lavish lifestyle that the Romans and their communities brought. The Pharisees, on the other hand, held fast to God's word, and that was a good thing. But the Pharisees also were very much uh, bureaucrats, if you will, and they took the laws of the Old Testament and began to uh, turn them into legalism, if you will. Now, Paul was a Pharisee, and he wasn't just a run-of-the-mill, rank-and-file member either. He was being trained as a leader, probably to be the high priest at some point, many think. He certainly was trained under the highly respected Pharisee teacher named Gamaliel. We run into him in the book of Acts. And Paul, in his own words that we read in Galatians 1.14, says that he was advancing in Judaism beyond his contemporaries. He was extremely zealous for the faith. And indeed he was. Now the Pharisees were a strict religious order. They expanded the law and they developed 613 laws or uh, traditions, regulations, if you will, that uh, they expected everybody to live by. These weren't in the Bible, but they just took the spirit of the Old Testament uh, and, the, and then they put uh, feet to that spirit, if you will, or that idea. For example, uh, the Old Testament law of Moses said to do, not to travel on the Sabbath. Well, the Pharisees uh, set themselves to the task of determining what a Sabbath day's journey was, which was a little over 2,000 miles, uh, half a mile, excuse me, 2,000 cubits. Uh, they, they did that with a lot of different laws uh, of, or of the Old Testament. And so they were very legalistic, very much bureaucrats. And Paul was sold out. He was sold out to uh, the Pharisaical idea. And, of course, he was an enemy of the New Testament church. And that's where we first find and run into Paul in Acts chapter 7. He was there as uh, the Pharisees, again, very much anti-Jesus, uh, demanding and, and, and exacting his crucifixion and now focusing in on his disciples of church. Stephen, the first martyr for the faith, was a deacon in that church. And that's the first time we run across the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 7. He's not throwing stones at Stephen causing his death, but he's holding the coats. He's an accomplice of every one of those who are bringing about the death of this man of God, Stephen, who was praising Jesus while his body and his skull were being smashed by boulders. In Paul's life, the, the vivid photographic sort of memory of that day had to haunt him as he now becomes one of those just like Stephen, a servant of Jesus. Or perhaps instead of haunting him, maybe it motivated him to a deeper service for the Lord. So as we talk about Paul as a Pharisee, Paul used his Pharisee credentials. We see that in Acts 23, 6, where he's standing before the Sanhedrin, and he says to them, I am a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. 
Does that sound like a man who's backed away from his Pharisee traditions? No, Paul used it. That was part of God choosing him as this holy, uh, special vessel. Uh, Paul, as a leading and well-known Pharisee, could walk into any synagogue in the New Testament world, and he could debate them. He was more skilled than probably any one of the leaders there in the synagogue, and he would be recognized and allowed to teach, which Paul did. Look through the book of Acts, and you'll see that every time he went to a place, the, uh, a new uh, village or a new city, the first place Paul would go was to the synagogue. He was very comfortable there. And what did he do? He would use the Old Testament to debate and discuss and to convince everyone in that synagogue that Jesus was indeed the Messiah that they were looking for. So that's part of why Paul was a chosen vessel. He was a Pharisee. Let's look at the second component of Paul's life. Paul, the Roman citizen. None of the other 12 apostles or disciples, I should say, uh, were Roman citizens. But Paul had a Roman citizenship, and it was this citizenship, a very special place in the Roman world, that enabled him to preach before governors, before kings, and probably eventually even before Caesar himself. So the gospel is going out at multiple levels. It's going down to the Jews and, and, and their issues, their, their places, their people using the scriptures. But now Paul is also a Roman citizen, so he's able to go to the uh, elite, to the leaders of the Roman world. So Paul, as he did use his Pharisee credentials, he also used his Roman citizenship credentials to further the gospel of Christ. Uh, as a Roman citizen, Paul had some rights that the other Jews did not. He had the right to travel unrestricted on the great Roman roads that expedited the spread of the gospel during Paul's days. He had the right to a trial. He had the right to government protection. He had the right, in a sense, to free speech, which many others in the Roman Empire and certainly in, in Judaism and the Jewish uh, communities did not. Paul had that as a Roman citizen. Let me just read to you a couple of things where Paul uses his Roman citizenship coming from the book of Acts. He's in the city of Philippi, Acts 16, 37 and 38. Uh, and this is, uh, I'm quoting right now, but Paul said to the officers who had come to release Paul uh, from having been beaten, uh, humiliated there in, in Philippi, but now they're going to let him go. <laughs> and listen to what Paul does as he turns the tables on them. And here's what Paul says to the magistrates, to the officer that's about to release him. Hey, wait a minute. And here's what he says. They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And they threw us in this prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let the magistrates, the city council, let them come themselves and escort us out. So Paul's using his Roman citizenship, and he's saying, you guys did something illegal, wrong, and I could really turn this on you. I'm not going to. I'm going to go quietly, but I want the magistrates, I want the city council to come and escort me out of town as uh, in the city of Philippi. We see the same thing in the city of Jerusalem in Acts 22.3. Uh, as a riot is taking place uh, because of Paul and, and some things that were take, uh, happening, but uh, Acts 22.3 says this, as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander 
of that would be a Roman soldier, ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why all these people were shouting at him like this. He didn't make any sense to him. It was about Judaism, and Paul was mainly in conflict with the Jews. So this Roman soldier is going to flog him, uh, uh, put him in chains and irons, and then interrogate him. Verse 25 says, as they stretched him out to flog him, Paul, can you just not see this in your mind? Paul just quietly turns his head and says to the Roman centurion standing there, uh, and this is a quote from the scripture, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? <laughs> and all of a sudden, everything changes. And the, when the centurion heard this, verse 26, I'm reading now, he went to his commander and reported. He said, what are you going to do? Uh, this man is a Roman citizen. And the commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, Paul said. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. And here was Paul's trump card, if you will. Yes, but I was, I was born a citizen of Rome. Wow. So Paul's using his Roman citizenship, and you can see why God chose the Apostle Paul to found Western civilization. Now, Paul was a tent maker by trade, as was his father. And who is it? And they lived in the city of Tarsus. Uh, who is it that needs tents? Well, it's armies because armies live in tents as they're out and about doing their work. And the Roman armies, the Roman soldiers, the centurions all knew Paul, all knew his father. They bought from Tarsus. They had uh, goat's hair, a very fine uh, type of cloth was made that was perfect for tents. And Paul and his father before him made these tents. Therefore, they were given the gift of Roman citizenship by the Roman army. And uh, Paul used that in his pursuit of sharing the gospel. He was God's chosen vessel. Let's look at Paul the intellectual here for a moment. Paul was well-read. We know that because we find out in uh, Timothy that he says to, uh, and he's writing, he says, send John Mark. I left some books at Troas. That would be the city of Troy. Uh, we know it today. Uh, well, I left some books at Troas as well as some scrolls and some scriptures. Bring them to me. So Paul was well-read. He was conversant on a number of topics. He was very sophisticated. He was familiar with the pop culture of the day partly because he grew up not in Jerusalem, but in Tarsus, which is a very cosmopolitan city. Uh, Paul's credentials uh, were very convincing as an intellectual because he had been an enemy of the gospel, arresting, pursuing, persecuting the hated Christians, and now he was one of them. And that gave him a platform as an intellectual. He wasn't just a mind-numb robot, as we sometimes hear people called. He understood. He came into the kingdom of God with his mind as well as his heart. And his mind was an incredible mind. It was learned. It was trained like Moses's. Paul was trained under the greatest teacher of the Jewish law, Gamaliel. But Paul was also very familiar with Greek and Roman culture, having grown up in Tarsus. Tarsus is a city, very cosmopolitan. It was a seaport city. It was right on the trade route. Romans were there. Uh, people from all across the Mediterranean, all across the known world, came through Tarsus, and Paul interacted with them. Uh, so Paul's gift, uh, uh, one of the reasons that God perhaps chose the Apostle Paul as his chosen vessel was this idea that he was also an intellectual. And indeed, 
uh, I say to you today, Paul was. Uh, he spoke four languages. He had a quick wit and a sharp memory. Uh, he read and quoted the intellectuals, the philosophers, the popular poets of his day. We see that in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, he, as he's standing there in the city of Athens, he quotes the poet Epimendes. And then he also quotes the philosopher or poet Erratus. So uh, he's very familiar quoting not Jewish Old Testament words or, or laws, but he's quoting poets and songwriters and philosophers that the people in the Western world, in the Roman world, would know. He could relate to the pagan crowds in Ephesus. He could relate to the blue-collar workers in Philippi. He could relate to the highbrow Stoic and Epicurean philosophers that were gathered there in the Parthenon in Athens. He could reason with kings, and he could relate to bricklayers. He was indeed the perfect chosen vessel. 1 Corinthians 9.20 is kind of Paul's uh, admission of this. Listen to what Paul says. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law so as to win those under the law. Listen to what he's saying now. To those not having the law, I became like one not having a law. Though I am not free from God's laws, but am under Christ's laws, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. And there's, you've probably heard these words before, I've become all things to all men, that I might by all possible means save some. As an author, he wrote 13, at least, perhaps the book of Hebrews, probably not, but maybe, but at least 13 of the 27 books, almost half of the New Testament, was written by this chosen vessel, Paul. One could reasonably say that Paul's books, which he authored, of course, with the Holy Spirit, but Paul's books have been at the top of the New York Times bestselling list for the last 2,000 years. Nobody else could make that claim. Paul was an intellectual. And fourth, we'll just talk about Paul as Paul. There's another reason that, that Paul became God's chosen vessel or instrument. And I think that was his personality. Paul was a man of passion and zeal. But he turned these beliefs, this zeal and this passion, easily into action. Throughout the entire book of Acts, Paul is on the move, eager to go new places uh, as the Spirit led him, to talk about his faith in Jesus. Uh, what would have ended the ambitions of some less committed simply seemed to drive Paul on. He was beaten, stoned, robbed, shipwrecked, imprisoned, and harassed, yet Paul never flagged in his evangelistic zeal or his love for the church. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Five times I was beaten by the Jews with the forty nine with the forty minus one lashes. Uh, twenty in verse twenty five he says three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day out in the open sea, floating on some piece of log or, or some uh, remnant of the shipwreck. Uh, I, he goes on and says, I've been constantly on the move. I've been danger, in danger from rivers and flooding, from bandits, from my fellow Jews, from the Gentiles and the city, in the country I've been in danger, at sea, uh, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I've gone often without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. And then verse 28 says this, Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for the churches. There's an extra biblical 
description of Paul, not found in the Bible, found in some other writings, that uh, gives us a description of his physical body. We can uh, probably trust this to be pretty close to accurate. And here's what it says. Uh, Paul uh, was a man small in size, bald-headed, which means he was bald, uh, <clears throat> crooked thighs, which means he was bow-legged, well-built, with eyebrows meeting, so he had a unibrow coming across, uh, <clears throat> a rather long nose, but full of grace. And the description goes on and says this, sometimes he seemed like a man, and sometimes he had the countenance of an angel. Let me close with sort of an obit of Paul's life uh, as we put the, the substance to the dash between the beginning and end of his life, this obituary, if you will. Uh, Paul had an encounter with Christ Jesus when he was around 31 years old. We read about that in the book of Acts. From that encounter, he was rejected by the Jews. He was rejected by the church. So he spent three years alone in the desert of, Ara of Arabia, which is probably where he had much of his revelation, his understanding that he writes about in his 13 New Testament books. Uh, controversial point, but some have suggested that Paul might have been married and that his wife left him because of his faith. And there's some possible credibility to that. Uh, Paul was going to be, uh, he was on, on line to become the chief priest. Uh, the priests uh, and, and the Pharisees uh, were required to have wives. So uh, that might have been the case. We don't know, no scripture to back that up, just some conjecture there. Uh, but he was about 44 years old when he began his missionary journeys the four missionary journeys. So he was not a young man when he began. He was middle-aged. His four missionary journeys, as uh, told to us by the book of Acts, covered approximately 10,000 miles. Now, some of that was by ship, but nonetheless, 10,000 miles uh, to get a mindset of that, go from New York to Los Angeles, back to New York, back to Los Angeles, and you've covered 10,000 miles. Paul covered that journey by walking and by ship, but he was constantly on the move. Tradition has it that Paul was beheaded in Rome, probably by the insane Roman Emperor Nero. Uh, while incarcerated in Roman jail, uh, Paul wrote these words found in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. His death, his death was heaven's gain, but his life and his ministry was ours. So, we have a great respect for this chosen vessel of God, the Apostle Paul. Now, next week, we're going to look at the world Paul knew and why his journey and his mission and his life was so uh, earth-changing, history-changing, life-changing for us. Thank you so much for being a part of this 24-Minute uh, Bible podcast, and I look forward to seeing you next week. And I'll remind you again that we'll have our Facebook page up with some notes, some show prep, and just a few things that you can uh, tie into and use for your own benefit and your own scripture study. Thank you for being a part today of this broadcast. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to the channel. And if you would be so kind, please share it with your friends who might enjoy it as well. Join us next week with Mark Miner for another episode as we continue to explore how the Bible so beautifully fits together. May you have a blessed week 
and may God be glorified in your lives.